This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 351. And the quote of the day is from Jack Welsh, who said, There's no such thing as work-life balance. There are work-life choices, and you make them, and they have consequences. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, oh, happy Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever day you listen to this. This is Nick Ruffini. This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, episode 352. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a listener. And if you haven't already, you can leave a rating and a review about this podcast on iTunes. You can go there and it takes about a minute and you can leave your comments of undying love for me or tell me how much the podcast sucks or whatever you want to do, however you're feeling. Uh, I hope it's not the latter, but Hey man, truth hurts sometimes and sometimes you got to hear it. But if you haven't already, please uh, seriously leave a rating or a review, an honest rating and review on iTunes. I read every single one of them and I appreciate all of the kind words, but it also helps the podcast show up higher in the search results. What that means is more people can find out about it. And that's really all I ask. I don't ask for any money from you guys. All I ask is that you help support it by sharing it, telling your friends about it, leave a rating or a review. Uh, And if you're really, really feeling generous, you can head over to our Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search for Drummer's Resource, or you can just go to drummersresource.com forward slash support. And Patreon is a way for you to contribute a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, five dollars a month towards the podcast for as long as you'd like. And that helps keep the lights on. It helps pay Justin, the person who makes this podcast sound amazing. Uh, it helps pay for administrative fees, all of that kind of stuff. And that all that stuff all costs money. So your support is greatly appreciated. And again, you can do that at drummersresource.com forward slash support. It'll bring you right to our Patreon page. And I will love you for that. I love you either way. But if you do that, I'll, I'll really love you. So uh, let's get into this conversation with Joe Plummer. Joe is the drummer from the Cold War Kids. And I found out about Cold War Kids. Interestingly enough, I saw a post on Instagram. I tell him the story about it in, in the, in the, uh, episode. So I don't want to get too far into it, but I saw a post about them and said, Oh, I never heard of these guys. I started listening to them and I've been hooked ever since. So I am not only a fan of his playing, I am a fan of this band. Like, Super fan of this band. I've been listening to this record uh, every. I listen to it every day. I listen, or at least you know, a couple songs from it. Also, uh, they are on my Spotify playlist. So if you're part of the, if you're part of the mailing list, you'll get that Nick's Friday or the Nick's Monday mix. Excuse me, and uh, I included them on that on that Spotify playlist as well. So uh, I am rambling on. So let's get into it. I don't want to take up any more of your time. Let's get into it with Joe Plummer and Cold War Kids. Joe, how are you, my man? I appreciate you taking the time to chat today. I'm good. How are you doing? Um, fantastic, man. Fantastic. It's a, it's kind of a crappy day here, but uh, but whatever. It's still, it's still a good day. I'm alive, so that's good. Yeah, same thing here <laughs> in Seattle. It's sideways rain. Well, that's kind of that's typical for there, right? Uh, it doesn't usually rain as hard as it has been for two days. It usually just kind of drizzles, and it's, it's 48 degrees for uh, three months. Oh man, yeah. is that? Do you just get used to that? I like it. Yeah? Yeah, but I think it has to do with growing up in California where you you ignored weather uh, just because you could. And I built that, that skill growing up in Northern California, and now I've just applied it to ignoring weather up here. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, uh, so I moved to Northern California in April. And it it rained the day we moved in and didn't rain again until a week and a half ago. Yeah. That's you know? how it and goes. I was like, oh my God, it's raining. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I was, know. I was kind of freaking out a little bit. I make fun of Californians like for when it rains. You know, if it rains one day, I'm always um, asking people if they want to just call it quits and curl up in a blanket. Right. <laughs> Uh, watch a movie calling sick the world is coming to an end they can't believe yeah. it's raining first time i ever went to la it rained the entire week that i was there and there was like mud slides and all kinds of stuff like, yeah that's r- it's rough when it rains down yeah, there yeah uh, so i gotta tell you man uh uh maybe i guess it was four months ago or so 
maybe four or five months ago, um, I saw a picture on Facebook and it was at Swinghouse Studios and it was a picture of you guys on the roof of Swinghouse Studios. And it said that you got, I guess you guys were doing a concert there or you were doing a video shoot or I'm not exactly sure what you guys were doing. And to be completely transparent, I looked at it. I was like, Cold War Kids. I was like, who the hell are those guys? Let me check them out. So I went to Spotify, get LA Divine and listen to the record from top to bottom and have literally listened to that record every single day since then. And oh, great. It is a, it's, an, it's a great record, man. I Thanks. mean, yeah, it was, um, I, I, I've been enjoying playing it and supporting it for the last six months or so. It's going good. So I'm a I'm a fan. Let me just put that out there. Now that we got that oh, out of the way. <laughs> All right, thank um, you. So, but I want to I want to rewind a little bit. I know that I mean you you've played in you've played in a, a bunch of really amazing bands. But even before that, for you growing up, like why drums? How did how did you get into playing? Let's see. I got into playing. My cousin, my older cousin, who goes by the name Billy Blaze, he lives down there in Long Beach and still plays with a variety of people. Um, he's quite a few years older than me. Um, doesn't seem like it now, but when I was a little kid, he was in his late teens. And uh, he, he just always, his personality and um, everything about him sort of was interesting to me. And he played drums, and I would go visit him and just just look at his drums and look at his cymbals. And even the mechanics of drums laying on the floor were very intriguing to me. So, anyways, I decided to give drums a whirl. My parents encouraged me, and uh, I took took uh, some class, you know, band classes in school. Right, right, right. right. And, and um, in the small town in Northern California, and the band. Whereabouts teacher, in Northern California? There's a town called Mariposa. It's right by Yosemite. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just getting my getting my lay of the land around here. So I'm in Livermore. So. Oh, you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's the next chapter of my life. I moved to Pleasanton. Oh, but, really? Um, oh, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So I um, I, I got into this band class, and I believe it was Williams. I want to say his name was Brian Williams, but I'm not sure. I know it was Mr. Williams. He was the band teacher, and he we sort of did classical arrangements of pop songs, and it played. I played the, the kit right off the bat. Or we, me and two other drummers did, mm-hmm. and and um, we didn't start with too many rudiments or rudimentary playing or breaking down the instruments like snare drum only, kick drum. We didn't do an orchestra, an orchestra version, and I think that hooked me. Mm-hmm. I think I was going to say it's an inter- it's a good way to keep kids interested. Yeah, and it really just it, it hooked me. And we would do Duran Duran songs, and there was of course a string section, and right. But we kind of had a, a pop rock section two and we all played together and i think that's that's what got me in there and nice. then um stuck with it for two years and that that um that was my deal with my parents they said if you stick with it we'll get a drum set so i got one it's so i remember te- what i used to teach a lot more than i do now or i don't teach at mm-hmm. all now because i just got i became i realized that i didn't like it and uh which is a crappy thing to say but it's the it's, that's okay it's the truth it's better it's better i'm, I'm glad you're not teaching as you don't like it. <laughs> right. And you know what? I was, frankly, I was a bad teacher and I, and I yeah. wasn't getting enjoyment out of it. And I don't think the students were. Um, so I like doing, I mean, I like this kind of stuff. I like doing the podcast. I think this is educating. I think it's pushing, you know, pushing drumming forward. So I guess in a way I am teaching and I like doing sort of like master classes and things like that. But sitting down one on one is a little, uh, you know, tedious to say the least. Yes. Yes. Um, and I completely forgot what why I brought that up in the first place about teaching. Well, I was mentioning, um, let's see, my parents allowed me to get a drum set. Oh, that's it. So after be, two years, yeah, there would be kids that come in a lot, and they would get lessons, and I would say, okay, practice this at home, and they're like, well, I don't have a kit. I'm like, well, how mm. how are we? So let's go take trumpet lessons, and you not have a trumpet, right? Exactly. You know, and so the te- the parents would always say, do we? Do I have to get them a drum set? I'm like, well, if you want them, if you want them to practice, you should probably get them something, you know? Right. Get, do, yeah. Do something. At least you had it in school where you could practice and play. Yeah, we had the kid. I'm sure if I would have asked too, I mean, probably could have gone in there extra, extra time. But yeah, I, I got the, I got the kit, and then would go wild. I would play before school at like six thirty in the morning. Your parents probably love that. They didn't. They never said it bothered them. 
No? For sure. No. It's an interesting thing looking back where I, you know, I would do the same thing. I'd like get off the bus. I just run in and play drums or I would get home, you know, cause I, I was working since I was, I don't know, 12. And, uh, so, but I would get home and, you know, it'd be nine o'clock and I'm like, mom, can I play the drums? You know, and she's like, all right, for a half hour you can play. And it was like the yeah. greatest half hour in the world, you know? Right. Yeah. I think my parents were, were, um, I, I think their threshold was probably, for noise was probably greater in the morning and then at night. I, I think I we had pretty strict um, times at night for playing. So this is all through this is all through middle school that you're saying you were doing all this. Or yeah, this well, this was um this was seventh, sixth, and seventh grade, and then um and then I moved to the East Bay to Pleasanton. Okay, and got into at the uh, right when I moved there, I just went right into band, and I didn't like it. Um, eighth grade ninth grade and i didn't like it i didn't like the teacher and i and i quit mm. and that was the end of my formal my formal <laughs> training i was gonna uh, say you didn't quit playing drums you just quit and no general. i quit school and my reading was very remedial my music reading that is mm. um i could remember a, a little bit of it and can be retaught it again over the years i have but yeah i that's one regret you know i, I wish i, I could have uh uh, had a handle on, on reading. How much do you but, think that would help you now in your, in your career? Well, I don't think it would help much. I think it would make, th- I think it would be more interesting. I, I, I think it would open some doors now to where maybe I could write some stuff, um, rather than, um, verbally describe things like I have on my drum record. And, right. I mean, it all works out fine, but sure. it, it would, it'd be interesting to, to be able to do both. Right. Right. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's like a, it's like anything. It's like a muscle that if you don't use it, you, I, I wrote, I used to write really well, but I haven't had to in such a long time that now I'm sort of, you know, fumbling around trying to write things, you know? Yeah. It's a learning curve. And, and my drum tech would give me some stuff that he thought would be good for me to read and remind me how to read it. And I would get into it, but you know, it's, it's the half hour of reading it remembering it and then you can kind of get into it yeah yeah 100 yeah. percent. so you're so you're in the east bay you're quit you're like all right i'm done with school not done with school but done with playing at school and yeah so but you got it you keep playing are you playing in bands or are you yeah just playing along with records um i so that's when i started my first band um i was i was into drumming and skateboarding and that was and and maybe drawing back then and um that was about that was it so i would hang out with my skateboarder friends none of them played music um none of them that i can remember so i kind of glommed on to like the metal rocker dudes because they all played guitar Mm -hmm. and uh, i met a guy named jason and he turned me on to slayer i turned him on to snfu or some other punk bands and then that was also at the time crossover was happening. DRI right. was, was our meeting in the middle. And we started a band that was basically like a punk crossover band. Nice. What year are we talking? Uh, 88. Okay. So you're, you're, yeah. you're a few years older than me, but uh, yeah, I was skateboarding, but I was listening to hip hop. Yeah. Which, you know, it wasn't. Which is kind of which now that thinking back, I don't think anyone you know none of my skateboard friends played instruments either. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. They did. They just didn't. And then later on in life, they all did. But yeah, back then they didn't. And right. So <laughs> me and Jason and a couple other metal dudes played at my garage. I love how like kids are you're so resourceful as a kid you know and you're now because i think there's like this fear thing when you're when you get older when you're like oh man i gotta i like i i, I want to start a band or something but I, I don't know who i'm gonna call or i don't know who I, who I can hire for this band or or i don't know what i like i get i get emails about it. hey i want to start a band i'm like well let's start a band just yeah start a band but when you're kids you're like ah fuck it who cares i'm just gonna go and we'll just start you know we'll start playing and how many of those bands you know that that started when kids are 15 16 years old you know made it i mean a lot probably, right you know that they're yeah, that right. they're like man we've been playing together since we were since we were kids you know yeah i guess you know no i didn't have inhibitions 
and that was driven by, you know, I really wanted to play. The first time I played music with someone and you're connecting like that and putting, putting pieces together, you know, um, how music, when people, more than one person plays music together, it's kind of insane. Mm-hmm. And it was, I guess I didn't, I certainly didn't care who I played with at that point. You know, it was all very interesting to me. Yeah. And were you thinking at the time, like, this is what I'm going to do as a career? Or were you just like, man, I just, I just enjoy playing. I think I just liked it. Um, I, I think, I mean, I think I liked it more. I didn't think much about anything beyond that. I wanted to play shows um, because I had seen a bunch of hardcore shows and it looked fun. Um, I wanted to be up there doing that and making people dance and mm. slam dance and chant, and <laughs> do whatever they did. There's power in that. Yeah, it really seemed it really seemed like my my group of people. Yeah. So yeah, so I just that's what me and Jason did. We never did play a show, but uh, no, no. Um, and then I played with a couple other people, and like this one guy who was kind of a guitar virtuoso who taught me a bunch of weird Beatles drum tricks that he had read about back then. Where I was like, "Whoa, you can read about this stuff and discover it." <laughs> then you're like oh it's off to the races now yeah like come, to, <laughs> like come together overdubs possibly you know stuff like that right 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 so how did you get from from pleasanton to which pleasanton i don't know if you've been here lately i don't know when the last time you've been here i drove through it two weeks ago but yeah i, I mean i know how vast it's, how vastly it's changed yeah so i didn't realize that like 20 years ago none of this stuff was here so. Yeah, no, there was no Bart there. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little vanilla, but yeah, yeah, you know. But uh, that's a that's a whole different topic. Um, so how do you end up from you go from Pleasanton? How do you end up in Portland? How do you you know? How do you start? So you started. What was the first band that you that you played in? Like the first recognizable band? Um, recognizable band. Um, let's see. I moved to Seattle. I finished high school in Seattle, started playing with people, played my first show up here with, I guess, a band that wouldn't be recognizable, but it was 89 or 90 and um, was, you know, got to see all of the grunge bands at small clubs back then. And a few years later, started a band with some guys from the East Bay who had moved to Seattle called Bare Minimum. And it was kind of a sonic youthy noise art band mm-hmm. and you know a lot had happened in between there i'd been in some hardcore bands some some quote unquote grungy kind of bands right garage, garage bands and and then bare minimum was the first band that i kind of we put out a record or put out a couple records and toured um the foo fighters were starting back then and we went on their first tour with them they took us on the first tour because william was a good friend of ours and supporter nice. of our band so that was the first that was the first you know, I would think I was 20 when I started touring with those guys. It's amazing how long Foo Fighters have been around. It's because amazing. I always it think really that is. they're like, I always think that they started five years ago. I know. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, the, the drummer from Nirvana has a new band called the Foo Fighters. Like, I, st- <laughs> right. I still feel that way. Yeah. Which is, I mean, how long, they've been doing it since the 90s, right? Yeah, since 90, I would guess, 92, 93. That's insane, man. I think. I'm just... Maybe flies. maybe a little bit, maybe 95. Right. But still, that's that's 22 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, been forever. Wow. So what was it like coming up in that scene with the, with, the, with the grunge scene and seeing, you know, at the time, did you realize that you were experiencing something amazing? Did you, like, you know, when, when you're watching Nirvana play at a, at a small club or, you know, watching, you know, all these other grunge bands that are, that are coming out of Seattle, did you know that you were part of something magical i think yeah i mean seeing nirvana at a small club was you couldn't you couldn't deny that what you were saying was really magical for sure Mm -hmm. and i saw them as many i mean i probably saw them 10 times at smaller smaller venues and i it was really really i was excited for every single show back then but especially excited for them Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like, oh, let's go to the show. And we'd go to, it, you know, it's really funny now because they'd all be sold out. But I remember you go to the show and buy tickets and we always made it 
into the venue. Right. It's just crazy to think that I was able to see that. So I, it did feel like a magical, fast-moving microculture that was happening here, right. for sure. Were you trying to yeah. jump on that as well, or were you, were you sort of... I know. I think I was a little bit young. I, I didn't really care about it that much. Right. I didn't... I mean, I cared about playing music. Um, I didn't care about... And I think I was a little bit too young to even consider i wanted to at that point wanted to play music that's all i wanted to do i was Mm -hmm. in college as well but um i wanted to do it but i wasn't like really in tune with the idea that you know seattle was swarming with major label a and r men and i i was kind of hanging around people that were i you know i didn't know nirvana people or Soundgarden people, but I knew like sunny day real estate were our pals and they were the, they were as close to us where they was like, Whoa, they're just being kind of wined and dined and people are swooping in and trying to get them to be, uh, you know, their next darling from right. the Northwest. Um, so I, there was a sense of that, but I we just kind of rolled with it. I think it was too much fun and too much excitement. And we I got, we were punk, too. Like the people I played music with, we certainly weren't naysaying and saying anyone ever was selling out. Mm-hmm. But we were just more into, um, you know, we, we didn't know what it meant for Sonic Youth to be on Geffen. Right. We just played music that sounded like Sonic Youth. Right. Was it with the, all the labels sort of running around in town and, and there was that vibe of like everyone's looking for the next thing? Um, was it, did it leave sort of a sour taste in your mouth? Or were, were they welcomed? Were all these labels welcomed or were they, were they, you know, was everybody uh, saying like, come on, like get the hell out of here? We don't I want think, th- I think they were. Um, I think they were. I mean, yeah. Again, the, there was a just a just enough of a gap between the bigger grunge bands like Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. That socially we didn't see them much, um, so we didn't get. I I don't know how they felt about it, and we didn't really care. Right. We were like the kids in the scene, right. and when we, and when we would hang out with those guys, which we eventually did, would hang out with like. Eddie Vedder and stuff. Um, it we just never, yeah. It was it was too late. They were superstars, and we were just like the kids right. back then. Right. So no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in Modest Mouse, how that whole thing came about, but I'm also interested in the approach of how you work with multiple bands, or you transition from one band to the next to the next, and you know, learning all of that material and, and sort of shedding the old skin and, and becoming this new member of a, of a band and, and learning all of that and, and, and trying to fit in into one cohesive unit. Um, well, let's see, let's see, let's see. I, um, do you want to talk about first, um, how I started yeah. playing with Modest yeah, Mouse? Yeah, let's talk about Modest Mouse. Well, at the same time of all this Seattle stuff, they were, you know, obviously from Seattle, um, uh, there was a scene surrounding a venue called Velvet Elvis and it was like Modest Mouse, my band Bare Minimum, um, Unwound, some Olympia bands or a lot of Olympia bands, but that was kind of our community, this all ages theater. And it was a great place for all of us to play. And again, it was more like on the art Rocky version of, of, that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, I had known, got to know Jeremiah, the drummer, um, and Isaac a little bit over the years. Um, Isaac and I butted heads over stupid things. I remember <laughs> at shows and almost getting fights and stuff. Really? Or, or not, like what? Not, I say plural. Um, it, I know it happened once. I think it happened twice. Uh, just one time, <laughs> He was doing what I think was mouthing off, and I was just like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> you know, and then he kind of pushed, and then I pushed back, and we were just both being dickheads. And I was like, probably threatened to beat him up or something right. back then. <laughs> um, but boy, do I love that guy. Um, but yeah, but it we would hang around the same scene a lot. And so I don't know, for whatever reason, Isaac and I... I mean, we were never enemies. We were just, again, just kind of being 
idiots probably. Right. And um, then we would hang out a little bit later on before I moved. We both moved to Portland around the same time. Maybe he did a year or so be- before I did while they were making the Good News record and or finishing it up. And uh, we lived pretty close to each other and Isaac and I started hanging out a lot and kind of threatening to play music, but just really just hanging out because we live so close together Mm -hmm. um, to each other. And I didn't really know what Modest Mouse was doing with the Good News record but or what had happened, but Jeremiah had quit mid-recording. Benjamin Weichel started playing and ultimately did the re- played on the record. And when that was all done, I think Benjamin was not into playing. Jeremiah was not going to come back necessarily. So Isaac called me and asked me if I wanted to play. And I was like, yeah, I do. That'd be great. <laughs> that sounds really fun. I wasn't even thinking, never had even thought about it. Right. Um, but I just said, Hey, what about Jeremiah? What's his deal? And he's like, I got to, I still got to talk to him. And I was like, just talk to him first. If he doesn't want to do it, I'm in. I am so in. Right. If he wants to do it, thanks. And he, and then, um, Isaac called me back and said, uh, Jeremiah wants to do it. And I was like, oh, that's good. That's, that's the best for Modest Mouse. And he said, but I still want you in the band. So we're going to have two drummers, percussionist slash percussionist. So that's how that started. There you go. That's a good vote of confidence. Yeah, and that was great. And so I started right when that Good News record came out and had a great time sporting that record and then played on two more. So what so you how long were you with uh with Modest Mouse? You were with them. It was 7 years. 7 six, years. 6 or 7 years. So when you and I've, I you know, you've been in multiple different bands. So when you're when you're in a band for a certain amount of time, um do do you start to get the feeling that you want to move on to something else? Do you, um, do you look for different opportunities or just things sort of go, you know, go the way they go and you just end up in another, in another situation? Um, well, I, I think what I try to do and the, and the kind of the, there's one key thing is while I was, um, right before modest mouse, I had played in the black heart procession for mm-hmm. six years mm-hmm. and, um, and I stayed with them while I was in Modest Mouse because the timing was – we were in between records, I uh, think. You were on different tour cycles. Yeah. So I kind of made sure I um, had the time to do it and to commit. I was able to do it. And then Blackheart started again and basically reassured those guys that you know I was dedicated to Blackheart and would want to do that more than Modest Mouse – and and then kept going like, well, what are we going to do? And time kept going by and not much was happening. Mm-hmm. So the, the pendulum swung <laughs> over to Modest Mouse. Ah, uh, Understandably. Sure. So um, I just like to work, basically. I'm not going to abandon anyone, but right. I like to work. And if people aren't working when I think they could be or should be, um, again, I don't abandon, but I just kind of go, what? are we doing right i was talking to mike portnoy that's such a douchey name drop thing to do but he was he he was on the podcast when we were talking Mm -hmm. um and he was just saying you know the reason why he left dream theater was that it was record you know record the record tour write, record tour write, record and he said after a while it just it was like groundhog day and he needed to to do something different and i understand that a little i get bored easily um Mm -hmm. Like I, I constantly need to be doing other things, but then you have guys like, you know, Chad Smith, who's been playing in the Chili Peppers for a hundred years and, and doesn't, you know, doesn't get bored. So. Right. Yeah. And I was wondering if, if you have some of those things, do you look for different musical projects when you're not, not like you're, you know, you're in the band, but you're looking for the next best thing. But after a few years, do you think, uh, I'd like to maybe do something different? Oh yeah. Well, I always want to do something. I mean, I can't. Yeah. I, it's always in, it's always of interest, and I know that there's always time to do something different. I mean, that's why I like doing sessions. Um, I love doing sessions. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think it's it's fun, um, and I have enough skill to get through most 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 uh, subgenres of of rock and whatever country stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but with song, you know, with different writers, I like playing with different songwriters and yeah. 
and, keeps and, it interesting. Yeah, so it's kind of I like to do both, but I I like to work. You know, I like to work. I like to earn money. I like to not rest on my laurels. What's the approach when you're going into a band that's already established and you're replacing a drummer? I mean, you did it. You did it with Modest Mouse. You did it with The Shins. You did it with Cold War Kids. Well, I just practice. I do a lot of you know on my own before the first rehearsal. I try to try to just sort of drummyoke the songs that we're going to play and get the feel for or get the structure down mm-hmm. um and and just kind of know the songs by ear because and and kind of learn the vibe from the drummer that's that's currently playing because people are used to it um i tend to play kind of a little bit tighter at first just because i want to you know if it's if it's tight it can always loosen up for right. me sure but you get through a song, everyone, you know, you can reassure the singers and everyone else in the band that you can at least get through a song, right? If I had to do it tomorrow, I can get through the song. It might be a little tight, but if, I listened to the song once, just so you yeah, know. yeah. So you know, I I try to, and then I try to show up for rehearsal and try to ask questions like, "How? Okay, so that look on your face is telling me that." So and so did this differently. Is the song structure different? Is the BPM slower? You know, mm-hmm. and then use because a lot of times people are pretty passive, right? With with me at least, yeah. <laughs> and they'll and they'll like, like, oh man, because I think I think they want to say, oh, it's good. It's right. it's actually good. Uh, I'm surprised you got it, but then they're like afraid to to give me a little crit, you know, critique or reference the former drummer or former. It's usually a as cliche as it sounds like a vibe thing it's like well okay give me a live recording then and then you can figure it out are you trying to bring your own flavor or are you just trying to do what the other drummer did until you until you sort of get your bearings of everything and then slowly start integrating some of yourself into the into the tunes i i start with structure um and then um in in a rehearsal or a practice, I try to glean some of the the style to make people comfortable of the other drummer. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a li- or if it's a lighter playing or a, a faster playing or a sloppier playing or a tighter, I try to get that. And then once I can tell people are satisfied, then I kind of try to drop some things, right? Some some, some stuff that feels natural to me and i kind of think people might like better mm-hmm. some joeisms yeah that they, you know people might like better than or or might be cool or right. you know not at least novel sounding and not distracting sure that makes sense because i i think that there's an ego thing that comes in but there's also like this this fear of man, if I don't play it like the other drummer played it, you know, they're going to be thinking, what, what's this guy doing? Or, you know, and, and I've run into that myself. Like, you know, you go into a band cold or, you know, for the first time and there's been a drummer there for five years. They're like, yeah. Oh. You're like, well, should I do this thing that that guy did? And they're like, no, we actually hated that thing. We're glad, right. you know, don't do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's a, it's a tough situation. And I, I would imagine, I mean, I've, I haven't done it as many times as you had to do it. So I would imagine that it gets easier with time. Yeah, I think I have, a, it's a little bit of an unconscious formula. You know, again, it comes to right down to if I'm prepared for rehearsal, then it makes things a lot easier because I can go, oh, is, is actually that verse slower? That's what it sounded like on the recording. Should we, are we keeping to do that? Or it was like that on a live recording or something. And as you said, sometimes it's like, no, no, he always slowed down or he always sped up mm. or whatever, you know. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's it's it seems to be an unconscious thing. I just tried to keep it open for people. Um, I don't know why. But again, as I said, people like to just tell me stuff is good because I think I certainly fit into the not to toot my own horn. I certainly fit into the good version of stuff just because I can. I've been at it for a while. Of course. Pre- I mean, you know? Well, that's why you, so, that's why you got hired, you know? Yeah. So I think I, you know, I always want, everyone wants it to be great. So, you know, I just try to get it to good and then keep it open. So to tell people not to be afraid to tell me to. Right. 
And t- I'm guessing, you know, leave your ego at the door and let people, you know, don't take it I tried to, yeah. When- or I try, I put my ego, I leave my ego in the rental car that I drove to rehearsal and then I just <laughs> let it out on my way away from rehearsal. <laughs> One line in the dream symbol family that I think is really cool is the dark matter family. They have the flat earth, the moon ride, and the dark matter energy. And although they're all made a little bit differently, they all involve the dark matter process. And this is really cool. Check this out. They take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven, hand hammer it, and then shock it with cold water, and then put it back in the oven. And what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out dreamsymbols.com. Hey, if you're looking to get bigger, better gigs and you're not quite sure how you can break through and start connecting with artists that are operating at a higher level than you, you should go to drummersresource.com forward slash gigs, G-I-G-S. That'll enroll you into a five-day free email series. And every day I'll send you some tips, some advice, things like that, how you can get bigger, better gigs, more exciting gigs, and more pay. Again, go to drummersresource.com forward slash gigs, and it's a five-part email series If you want to take the next step, if you want to go even further, you can just go to biggerbettergigs.com. And that's a course that I put together to help you get these bigger and better gigs. It's cheap to get if you want to get it. And uh, and you can learn all about it by going to biggerbettergigs.com. And it'll by far help you more than just figuring it out on your own or just trying to wing it. So I take all my years of experience of how I've gotten all of my gigs and I put them into an easy to follow along course. You can download it. There's PDFs, there's audio, all that stuff. Check it out, biggerbettergigs.com. Or if you want the freebie sort of shortened version, go to drummersresource.com forward slash gigs. And that's all I have for you. So let's get back into it with the one and only Joe Plummer. I'm always interested how how people practice, how people how bands rehearse. Um, mm-hmm. what's it like inside of a, inside of a rehearsal? Let's just say for, for, uh, Cold War kids, just because that's the, the current project that you're working on. Um, what does the inside of the rehearsal room look like? How is it, how is it structured? Cause I think it's important because I, I think a lot of people don't know how to practice. I don't, I think a lot of people don't know how to rehearse and they just end up just, well, we go in and, you know, we play the tunes, we play all 12 of our tunes and then they sound like shit and we leave and we come back next week and we do the same thing over again. Right. Well, I think, you know, because we're we're a pretty serious um serious touring outfit. Um and we kind of do a record cycle for a year and a half and then and then make a record and then um move on, you know. Right. We kind of have that's our we don't take much time off. So what we do in my experience with this band is we st- at the beginning of a record cycle, we we take a, a good solid week um, to rehearse, and we start with we just start into checking out the instrumentation and sounds. You know, for, I guess I'll just speak from the drummer world. We we see if like for the last record and the one before, "Hold My Home," um, we and I ahead of time kind of consider the drum textures of the recording mm-hmm. and um then we get in there and we we tend to just like let her rip on a couple songs because we typically know them because we've tracked them right right or at least most bands i play with um some tunes i don't didn't know on the new cold war kids record but um we kind of know them so we go through them and often we'll if they feel slow, we'll change it. And like, we're act, that's definitely not going to be the live um, BPM on that tune. Right. And we'll switch it up and we'll see what songs feel good with click track. I like playing with click track. I was going to ask like, that. Are you guys playing with, with, with clicks? 
Yeah, probably half. And yeah. sometimes I don't tell the um, people I rehearse with a lot of times. I just play with one or I don't play with one. Mm. Um, and so you guys are playing with are you are you guys playing with tracks too on stage? Yeah. All? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, now Cold War has just a few, nothing too elaborate. One song is pretty track heavy, but um, yeah. And then the songs, a lot of times it's just me playing click mm-hmm. to click um, or not. And I typically practice all the tunes with click and see what they feel like, see how people play to me playing stiff to a click. Right. Or, or, I, I don't actually play stiff to a click, and I think a lot of people. I like playing with a click because you can play around it. Yeah, it's square. You know, it's it's. I th- I think that comes from experience because I think when you first put someone, first of all, you put put a click on someone in the beginning, and they're all over the place, and they can't they can't they don't even they don't know up from down, and then yeah, they get really tight on it. And they're it, everything is like super stiff, super super staccato, and they're like, I I, I got to be right on top of this thing. But then someone like you who's been doing it for years, you realize that it's your friend. It's not like it's not a a stick that's smacking your hand every time you you push or pull. It's something right. that is just guiding you that you can, like you said, play around. Yeah, and I mean, I use it. Yeah, I use it a lot now. I use it with Mister Heavenly and this band that I just got off tour with, um, which is kind of a smaller production, but I make sure I can get a click in there anyways. Um, yeah, so I, I mess with the BPMs quite a bit, make sure that, or ask and make sure that the, you know, the singing is relaxed feeling to me or ask the singer if, if that's, uh, if how it feels, you know, does that feel good? Does that feel too fast? Does that feel too tight? Um, and don't be afraid to, we can slow down the verses. We can, you know, we will naturally slow down if that all feels good and then start messing with maybe if there's pads or sounds that I need, start messing with that world and mm-hmm. then just kind of going through the songs and, um, taking some notes here and there. Are you, are you trying to make it sound like the record or are you trying to create the best live version that you can where you're, you know, I think, I think I start trying to make it sound like the record. Mm-hmm. I think that's my um, base. And I think that's just kind of a barometer um, or a tool to, for me, a tool to figure out where the song is going to work best live. Because I think you don't want to mess up. If it's not working close to the record you don't, and you want to play the song live, just don't, just change it. Just change the whole, you know, do right. whatever you need to do because you have to play that song a lot more than listen to that song on the record. <laughs> and you can tell people, people's reactions are a lot different. Um, if you start out playing a song, the same BPM, same instrumentation, and they're just standing there and you believe it's a good song or it's a single and they're just like, eh, that's cool. But <laughs> yeah. then you switch it up and it usually works. So I think to answer your question, I think I'd, I I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but just start with a record version and and you'll learn, you'll figure it out, mm, and you know, or something we'll figure it out. Translate better live than others. So, like you said, you got to tweak, you got to, you know, you got to yeah. you got to give it the best live live spin on it that you can because you know it could sound great on the record, but like you said, you put it in front of people live and it's like eh, it's not really it's not really doing what what it should be doing. Um, yeah, I have a yeah, well, I have a strength in knowing. Um, that this isn't, you know, typically like, ah, this isn't going to work. We, we got to change it. Right. Um, I wish my strength lied in predicting that ahead of time. That mm-hmm. would make me seem like a genius. But. That makes sense. So I, I want to talk about a couple of things with Cold War Kids. One, selfishly curious um, how how that gig came about, how you, how you teamed up with those guys. And did you know of them before you joined the band? I didn't know much. Let's see. Well, a few years I had been on tour with the Shins, and mm-hmm. a couple guys in the Shins were friends with those guys. And I had run into them a few times here and there on my other band, Mr. Heavenly, as well. Mm-hmm. Had run into them in Austin, and the Shins had played some of the same festivals, and the Shins guys were um, a couple of the guys, or Richard Swift at least, was friends with them. And I would hang out with them at festivals. Um, but I didn't know much about their music until, until they, let's see, I had, I went to a couple opening small shows for their rec for, um, 
one of their records and and then didn't really listen to them. And then Dan Gallucci, the guitarist at the time, called me and asked me if I wanted to play. He's an old friend of mine from Seattle. So ah, and he was okay. he's producing the records and playing guitar at the time. So and oh, nice. Shins were having a forever break, so I went for it. Oh well, there you go. Perfect timing. So yeah. the so but you also write music with Matt, who is also in Cold War Kids. Yeah, Matt and I have a record or well, we have a record with with a guy, Mitchkoff, uh, Daniel Mitchkoff. He's in Tijuana Panthers, mm-hmm. um, and that's called Cormandels. That's kind of a surfy, uh, smithy kind of thing. Nice. It's really it's really fun. We have a new record almost done. So, and I guess there's no concern of it distracting from Cold War Kids or anything like that. No, I mean, I again, I just got off tour with Mister Heavenly, my other band, and. Uh, we I wove it in between um, time off. We'll right. probably do more of that later. Where is well? Two questions. One, where is your where is your focus now? Is it is it cold work is or is it sort of juggling all three of these? Uh, juggling all three. Yeah. And how? Yeah. How do you do that? Because I think there's a lot of people who struggle with that to where they're. I mean, know. it's stressful at times. It's stressful on my family. Um, more than me Mm -hmm. um i i definitely have priority you know i make bands priorities so it's it's kind of trickles trickles down uh schedule wise but the priority band always takes priority so then i have to kind of plan around that but i actually do plan around it right and so that's how that works it's like um Usually, you know, someone like Cold War Kids or the Shins would have an annual schedule or at least a six-month advance schedule. And then um, if I know that, then I can see pockets and times to make a record or tour or write some sure. new record or whatever. Sure. What's the biggest struggle with family and touring? Oh, it's just it's tough on my wife. We have a lot of help. We have grandmas and grandpa caregivers. And even with that and my wife, my wife works, even with all the help, it's just, it's raising a kid. is a two parent, two parent job. Yeah. Even if, you know, even if she has help all day from a grandma, um, or all week or for two weeks straight, she still has to get home from work and she's primary caregiver over and over again. You know, it's not, it's a hundred percent her or a hundred percent, hundred percent mom or a hundred percent work. Right. So it's tough on her because she has to be, um, even with all the help we have from our, um, my son's grandparents, my parents, her parents, um, she gets home from work and she's either a hundred percent at work or a hundred percent mom. You know, it's uh, sure. parenting is for, for two people. Yeah. Do you, have, do you have advice for people juggling that? Um, my first bit of advice is if you can, it's possible. You just have to be extremely conscientious with your partner and, and make sure that you're, you have to make you you have to be, uh, a little more precise in the decisions you're making. I can't be willy nilly and go do something that's um, going to waste our time and, and, uh, and not, it's not necessarily earning money, but um, just you have to focus a little bit more on the decisions you're making because we have this, um, the biggest, the most important thing at home. So right. um, my, my advice, I guess it's difficult. It's doable. Um, you just have to be extremely conscientious about mm-hmm. the choices you make. And, um, and there's so many ways to be in contact. If you are touring or traveling away from your family, um, take advantage of those, right. Use those tools. Um, my son's going to be no, he knows FaceTime really well. He can almost do it himself. So, um, I think it's important just to remain in contact as much as possible. Uh, and again, it's, it's easier now. So that makes sense. So I know that, you know, speaking of you being on the road, I know that, that, uh, that you're touring with, 
with Cold Kids and where, so where can everyone go find out where you're on, where you're going to be on the road, where, you know, who else are you on the road with um, over the next couple of months so people can come see you play live? Um, well, it's just your, your standard um, social medias always tell, tell you where, um, where Cold War Kids are going to be, the websites. Cold War Kids are, have a bunch of December, two weeks of December touring um, in the Midwest and some West Coast stuff. Mr. Heavenly, I think, has some shows in January. And um, next year, I believe both bands will be doing U.S. touring and possibly Australia. Awesome. So, uh, one, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat. Uh, like I said, I, I would be cognizant of your time and I get you out of here at the, at a good time. Um, and secondly, I just, I want to congratulate you on the success that you've had and the success of this, of this new record with, with Cold Kids. I, like I said, I listen to it. I literally listen to it every day. So it's a, it's a great record. And, uh, hopefully I can see you guys live soon when you guys are, when you guys are on the road. So great. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably be up there in Northern California within a, within six months if not sooner amazing joe thank you again and for everyone out there just so you know uh don't go to joeplumber.com because it's not his website it's a uh <laughs> it's uh, have you gone there i have not okay I I have, my website is joe.plumber his so joeplumber.com is a guy who is sort of a uh he's he's like an alarmist guy and he's like very very political and everything coincidentally he also puts drum videos on youtube oh boy i yeah. didn't know that no, yeah surprised. so you should you should google i watched it he has like a tom sawyer video up there <laughs> and everything and i was like i don't think, i was like this isn't the right joe plumber <laughs> so check no. it out yeah yeah i'm joe plumber joeplumbermusic.com right my website yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so do so do that awesome all right, all right joe thank you again i appreciate it and uh and i will be talking to you soon thank you i really appreciate it great podcast i'll talk to you soon all right thanks brother so that was joe Plummer from cold war kids hope you dug that do yourself a favor check out their latest record la divine it's an check out all the records but la divine is is the one that i've really been digging uh lately and they're on spotify you know all that stuff itunes all that fun stuff but also go out and see them live they're they're just an amazing band so be sure to look them up and uh yeah i hope you dug that i hope you got some knowledge out of that i hope you got some inspiration i hope you got some wisdom and until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening i'll be talking to you soon peace